Section 53 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 3 Sound But Not Safe. Gilead had not expected to find only one half of the vessel. Nothing in the details, precise as they were, of the skipper of the Shieldheel, had led him to foresee this cutting of the vessel in two. It was probably at the moment when this cut was made, beneath the blinding masses of foam, that that diabolical crash, heard by the skipper of the Shieldheel, had taken place. This skipper had no doubt tacked ship just before the last gust of wind, and what he had taken for a mass of water was a water-spout. Later on, when approaching to observe the stranded vessel, he had been able to see only the after part of the wreck, the rest, that is to say, the large break which had separated the bow from the stern, being concealed in the narrow pass of the reef. With that exception, the skipper of the Shieldheel had said nothing that was not strictly correct. The hull was lost, the engine intact. Such chances are frequent in shipwrecks, as in conflagrations. The logic of disaster at sea escapes our understanding. The shattered masts had fallen, the smokestack was not even bent. The great iron plate which sustained the engine had held it together and kept it in one piece. The plank sheathing of the paddle-boxes was disjointed very much like the slats of a Venetian blind, but through these interstices the two wheels could be seen in good order. Some of the floats were missing. The great stern capstan had resisted as well as the engine. It retained its chain, and, thanks to its being stoutly set in a framework of beams, it might still be of service, provided that the strain of the cable did not split the planking. The planking of the deck was giving way at nearly every point. All this diaphragm was shaky. On the other hand, the fragment of the hull entangled between the two douvres held firm, as we have said, and seemed solid. This preservation of the machinery had something sarcastic about it, and added irony to the catastrophe. The somber malice of the unknown sometimes bursts forth in this sort of bitter mockery. The machinery was saved, which did not prevent its being lost. The ocean kept it to demolish at its leisure, a cat playing with its prey. There she was, about to undergo the death agony, and be demolished piece by piece. She was about to serve as a plaything to the savage amusement of the foam. She was to decrease day by day, and, as it were, to melt away. What was to be done? It seemed mere folly to imagine that this heavy block of mechanism and wheels, at once massive and delicate, condemned to immobility by its weight, delivered over in that solitude to the forces of demolition, placed by the reef at the discretion of the winds and the waves, could, beneath the pressure of those implacable surroundings, escape slow destruction. The Durand was the prisoner of the Douvre. How was she to be delivered? The escape of a man is difficult, but what a problem was this, the escape of a machine. End of chapter 3. Sound, but not safe.